Good. Well, it's so good to be together again, and we are um, so grateful for this time together uh, this this morning, and uh, all that God has already done today, but all He has for us. So, Father, we just ask you, would Your will be done? We've prayed it a few times already, but really, we are asking, would Your kingdom come, Father? All we have is. Broken words, broken hearts, but we are bringing those to you today, and we pray that in the midst of all our faltering sentiments, that you would construct in and through our lives something of worth, something which lasts and endures throughout eternity. Holy Spirit, anoint each of us to hear and to do. Amen. Amen. Well, warm welcome from me as well. Um, now, as some of you know, uh, Johnny and I were away uh, for the summer, and, uh, and we had an opportunity, which is quite... Un- well, I don't really get the opportunity. Johnny's always reading books. Uh, but I find that whilst the children are playing, I get to read lots of books. And, uh, and one of the books that both of us read this summer um, was a book that a friend, actually, Emily Sloan... Uh, gave to me a long time ago, but I picked it up, and it's um, called Hind's Feet on Hide Places. Um, and it's basically about a girl called Much Afraid, um, who is effectively, um, she's invited by um, Jesus, but known as uh, the chief shepherd, to ascend the high places. And, uh, and in, the, in the book, the high places, they represent um, this, this freedom, this peace, this intimacy and love, this friendship with the chief shepherd, aka Jesus. And, um, and they stand, these high places, they stand for everything that the Christian faith is all about, living in this sort of um, intimate communion um, with Jesus. Now, as much as Much Afraid um, is desperate and desires to go on this journey um, to the high places, um, she finds it really hard to begin, to begin this journey, because she has to break free from some of the um, constraints that are happening. Um, They they call it the valley, where she is um, at the moment, in order to go um, up to these high places. And, And for her, there are relatives in her life that are holding her back. Um, And these relatives, you know, for us, they might um, represent habits, you know, habitual ways of thinking, things that hold us back, lies, controls, comforts, all these things that hold us in the valley that stop us wanting to take the chief shepherd's hand and ascend the hill to the high places. And anyway, she finally gains the courage to, um, to, to say yes Um, to say yes to the chief shepherd and make her ascent and begin to walk this journey um, up. And uh, and after she says yes, it isn't an easy ride. Um, She takes on this this journey up and she finds it incredibly challenging. It's Mm. a really difficult um, journey and it takes a a great deal of time. Um, It's quite a long book. It's not really a long book. It feels like a long book when you're reading it. A great great deal of time and effort um, and energy and um, and even just reflecting on that bit, so often, I certainly, but so often we, we say yes to Jesus, don't we? We say, okay, chief shepherd, take me up the mountain. And it's so easy to become discouraged when it's hard. Mm. And actually reading this book, it was like, this is really hard. There's like challenge after challenge after challenge as she's going up this mountain with 
the chief shepherd. Mm. And I just feel like for us, you know, we need to know that this is a hard journey um, and it is going to be difficult at times. But in this, um, in this beautiful um, journey, um, in the challenges, the chief shepherd is revealing the most beautiful, fresh truth um, to Much Afraid. And she's transformed as she continues up. She's basically laying down all of her life as she goes. Um, anyway, she manages to um, get to the top. Um, and she is sort of the last hurrah. She surrenders everything. And she says, OK, over to you. You have um, my whole life. Um, and in that moment, there's this beautiful transformation, and she's changed. Um, and she then is given a new name, and then she's taken back down the valley, and she has her heart broken for those in the valley. Anyway, as we were, Johnny and I were reading this, we were having, you know, mulling over it, over evenings together, um, we were just remarking on what a beautiful mm. picture of the Christian walk, of the Christian journey, um, that actually as we leave... And to have the courage, honestly, to, to leave behind the habitual patterns, the ways of thinking, the things that hold us back, our comforts, the things that um, we're so used to. Um, actually, as we, as we have the courage to say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them go. I'm going to take your hand, Jesus. He takes us on this beautiful journey that isn't easy of transformation. And, you know, the rest is um, read the book. It's very, very Absolutely. good. Absolutely. Well, uh, well worth reading. Well worth reading, yeah. Um, but anyway, I say all this, um, and Johnny is going to crack on, but we, I say all this to say that we're, we're starting, aren't we, week two we're in, and this is really the beginning of what we want to be saying, is um, the, I guess the heart of our vision here at Trinity is mm. personal renewal. We, we feel that if um, the church is transformed, if the church is changed into the image of Christ, as we give our whole lives to Jesus, the church is on fire and we get to see the city alive. So we're going to spend um, this morning talking about that. We are, and we're going, to do that. we're going to do that really by continuing in this metaphor of leaving base camp and also by looking at the story of the transfiguration. I do just want to say, though, Amy's right. This, this idea that we're trying to communicate today was it's so simple. It actually is all, it was always intended to be the engine of Christian faith and the engine of the church. And so often, what, the church, what happens in churches and in communities of faith is that we get distracted and we have a, we have a different vision, a goal. And, and, and so we lose the power. Because the power is about being transformed and sharing that transformation with others. We have to keep a, a rigorous, a brutal, at times, clarity on what our purpose is as the people of God. It can never be about anything else. It has to be about this. It can't be about growth. God will add to our number. God will add to the number of the church that is pursuing him wholeheartedly. It has to be about this. It has to be about Jesus. It has to be about seeking his face. And for us, the image we're using about that is leaving base camp. And um, we're using this because it's, uh, well, because honestly, we felt God lead us in this. But it actually, we realize it's, it's deeply prophetic. It has this sense of journey and particularly journey as ascent and I do just want to say I want to echo what Amy's already said being a Christian is really hard really hard because God is going to ask from you God is going to ask everything of you everything there is nothing there is not one thing not one fraction or fragment of one thing in your life that you get to keep all of it belongs to him all of it and he will ask from you for for every last bit by the end. 
And the journey of being a disciple is to die before you die. So that when you come to the point of death, you're ready. And you can give that gift to those around you and to the world as a gift. And you're not fearful of death. And we just don't think like that. The way that the world is structured, and none of this is in the notes, so apologies if we never return to the sermon, but the way the world is structured is protect, protect, protect. And the vision of the world for discipleship in the mind of the world is that what, Christ, what humans are supposed to do is protect and gather and hoard. And so we have buildings we call houses that are so full of stuff that we have to move them into garages, which used to be for cars, but are now for just the stuff we can't fit in our houses. And then sometimes we take up storage containers outside our houses for the stuff we can't fit in the garages that used to be for cars, but are now for the stuff that we can't fit in our houses. Because we're hoarding. It's meant to be about giving, about giving up and surrender. You see, progress in the kingdom comes through death. It comes through surrender. And actually, the picture of Jesus, the story Jesus, that's the story Jesus is telling. And some of you are facing what feels spiritually, and some of you, some of you even physically, it feels like death. And because your understanding of the script of faith, that it's addition and progress and all of this stuff, you think that you're failing. You're actually probably right in the center of what God is doing in your life. You just haven't discerned it because you, you think it works the other way around. Resurrection precedes death. If it feels like death to you right now, consider the possibility that you are in the center of God's will and God is with you. And that is, that notion, that, that resurrection story is the story the whole Bible is telling. And it is the story that's encapsulated in the story of Jesus above all other things. Now, at the transfiguration, the brief context here is that they finally get it. The disciples finally understand Jesus' true identity. But of course, they understand his identity within the paradigm of their world, which is that messiahship means addition and success and victory and bigger churches and whiter teeth and all of these other things, bigger bank accounts and driving Bentleys and Porsches and all these other things. And if you do those things, God bless you. And Jesus has to sort of say, no, guys, you've really not got it. And he corrects them by saying it's actually about death. And he, he brings them into that story, which is a completely different story from the one. He talks about the way of the cross. And again, you can read this in the end of Mark chapter 8. But then he says to them, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. They need a glimpse of his glory. Now, I don't say all of this to say that Jesus is not glorious. I'm saying something about the way in which God releases life and glory and truth and all the stuff we want and are destined for. That is true. God releases that and healing and progress. We're going to talk about that today. That's the essence of the message. I'm just trying to tell you the way it comes is through surrender. And Jesus says that's the way it comes. But then, as if to show them what they need to see, something that will get them through the days to come, he shows them his glory and they go up the mountain and they see him transfigured. This is what we read. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with them. 
Now, I've already got way too excited and taken much too much time that was meant to be used for things that are written on this piece of paper. So I'm going to try and compress this, but let's just look at the detail. Okay, they're taking up a high mountain, and it says they were all alone. This is a picture here of the call to discipleship. Following Jesus up the mountain. This is a picture of the transition that I believe, we believe, this church is being called to make in this moment. To ascend the hill of the Lord, as Psalm 15 says, to stand in his holy place, to follow him, to pursue him, to journey in discipleship. And it takes place on a mountain. As I said last week, all review and recap for those of you who still have my words resounding in your memories. But this is what it says. Uh, Mountains, or I said, mountains are places of revelation. They're places of God's glory being seen. They're places of instruction and places of transformation. And the word for transfiguration here is the word from which we get the word. That's a confusing sentence. Metamorphosis. Metamorpho, it means transformation. Transfiguration is transformation. Now in this story, there are echoes of the Old Testament. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to see that. Moses shows up, folks. And there's also Elijah. Now, Moses, as you may remember from last week, we talked about this. You may have read already in the Old Testament. If you're new to the Bible, you might want to consider beginning to do something like the Bible in a year. But Moses spent 40 days up a mountain where he received the law, which is God's instruction for how Israel was to live as free people. Not an onerous burden, but a way of living free in and amongst nations who didn't know all about God's deliverance. Now Moses came down the mountain having experienced God and his face was shining. He had been, he'd seen God's glory and he was God's authoritative spokesperson. Okay, and then we have Elijah. Elijah shows up here as well. Now Elijah's got a bit of history as well with the people of God and particularly had a bit of experience on mountains. Elijah had his fun, not at Mount Sinai, but at Mount Carmel where he uh, confronted the prophets of Baal. And made a public spectacle of them. He crushed them. And there was this whole sacrifice thing, and you can read about that. It's an amazing story, one of my favorites in the Old Testament. A real, that would make the greatest hits album of the Bible if, you, uh, if you're in my camp. Now, he too in his day was an authoritative spokesperson for God. Now, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I love this line. Duncan delivered it perfectly. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. So here's Peter. and Peter's one of us. Absolutely terrified, lost himself, and just starts gibbering. Can we put up some tents? I think we could probably make a festival out of this. Now, this could, this could mean a number of different things. There's probably here a reference... Peter's sort of trying to fit this within the story that he already knows. How do we fit this? Well, this is God's glory, and what did we do in the Old Testament with God's glory? Well, we put it in a tabernacle. Let me build a few shelters. Let's try and do, let's try and do this properly. But to interrupt him, because this isn't Jesus' will clearly, a cloud appears. Now, clouds, again, in the Old Testament, they're indications of real manifest glory. Presence and a voice from the cloud says, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. 
And then a voice comes from the cloud, and we, we're hearing again echoes of Sinai. We're also hearing echoes of the baptism of Jesus. We have a cloud, we have a booming voice, and we have these same words that we heard at the, the baptism of Jesus, which resonate. And these words say that neither Moses nor Elijah is now the authoritative voice, not the law nor the prophets, but this one, this man only, King Jesus, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. In other words, God's real spokesperson is Jesus Christ. He is the one who has the power to transform us. Not Moses, not Elijah. Good though they were. Part of the story though they were. Essential though they were. They only, both of them, only pointed forward to the one who was to come, who had now arrived, and who still is to come. Jesus Christ, he is the one who transforms. He's the one. And that's why, again, Duncan beautifully read, there was no longer anyone with them except Jesus. Those words are key. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. That is the profession of Christians throughout history. That is the profession of our late queen. That is the profession of this church. If you ever find the profession of this church changing from only Jesus, leave this church. Leave it. Go somewhere else where they'll talk about only Jesus. The goal, the center, the engine of the church must always be the profession. Only Jesus. Only him. Everyone, the rest of us, we cast our crowns before him. He's the vision. He's the purpose. He's the goal. He's the king. Without him, the whole thing falls apart. Without him, nothing holds together. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the key. He's the point of the story. Friends, he is the goal of your life. He is, he is what you will look like. When you see him as you will, you will be revealed and you will shine with the glory that is his. And the Holy Spirit right now is working in your life to bring about that glory. And sometimes you experience that as suffering, and sometimes you experience that as joy and peace. But in all of it, God is working for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This is a redemption story. This is a redemption community. This is the kingdom of God manifest in the church. And that's the vision, that the church would be, would be a manifest display of the wisdom of God. In the midst of a world which is going to hell in a handbasket. In the Old Testament, Moses comes down the mountain with ten commands. Which we could do worse than following. In the New Testament, we have only Jesus. So what's the call? I'm fired up. Me Sorry, too. I'm Me like, too. I need to leave the stage and just let loose, my friend. Me too. Um, but we are we are going to come into land and we're going to um, share communion. But the call, I guess, the encouragement uh, to us all um, is: firstly, follow Jesus up the mountain. You know, take His hand, um, allow Him to be the master of your life, and you know that happens. One time, doesn't it? it happens the first time, but it happens daily. Every day, wake up as a church and say, be the master of my life again. I'm going to take your hand again. And so, you know, for some who are here in the room, maybe who are 
thinking, who are these crazy people, perhaps? Um, but also... Generous are, of you to include yourself yeah, in that, because I don't think anyone's thinking um, you're crazy at this point. But even who are contemplating, you know, this sounds a little weird, they're talking about going up mountains, and um, I just want to testify that taking Jesus' hand and saying, okay, Lord, you can have all parts of my life, I give you my life, has been not easy, but the greatest adventure ever, ever. So if you're sat here thinking, oh, I don't know, am I going to, I don't know, shall I give it all? Just do it. Honestly, honestly, a life with Jesus has been completely transformational. It really has. Um, So firstly, we want to take Jesus' hand for the first time and ongoingly take his hand up the mountain, trust that he's good, that he is the good shepherd, and that he has great things for our lives. Secondly, we're called um, to be transformed, as Johnny's saying, to be transfigured by Jesus. You know, he forms us. It's the spirit within us that he fought. Jesus' um, face, doesn't it? It shone just as Moses did. But actually, as we see in this picture, um, Jesus is shining from within. The transformation for us when we meet Jesus, when we take this journey with him, is transformation from within. He forms us. He does the work. You know, personal renewal isn't, um, isn't a... Um, a thing of striving, you know, it's not a willpower to try and be renewed or redeemed or to try and be set free. It's his work in us. He forms us, the spirit forms us. And, and how that works, and this is, our, I guess, our, our call to you is simply giving over your whole self, simply saying, okay, Lord, search me, search my heart, search me and find what doesn't glorify you, where am I stuck? You search me, and then we simply say, there you go, have access to my life, have access to the whole part of my life. And then as we take his hand, his spirit renews, his spirit transforms. He takes us on the journey of transformation. And so I I guess that it's simple and hard, (laughs) but I want to just say as a church community, as we pursue personal renewal, just be brave and bold and say, Lord, I'm stuck in this area of my life, and I trust that you're the good shepherd. I trust that you can redeem. I trust that you want to renew my life, and so I'm going to give you access. Give him access to the pain. Give him access to the brokenness. Give him access to the relational breakdown. Give him access to your bitterness. Give him access to your disbelief. Give him access to your church pain. The places where you are stuck in, in, um, yeah, in unforgiveness, in bitterness, in cynicism. Give it all and say, transform me. Because if we don't, we just get stuck. We get stuck and we don't move forward. We get stuck and we don't walk up mm. the mountain. And we want to be a church that is renewed for the sake of the city. And I, this is like my pet peeve, but I get so cross when people feel like personal renewal is somehow um, like self-indulgent. Or somehow it's like a secondary thing. You know, oh, I'll reflect on that part of my life. You know, mm. maybe another time. Maybe in 10 years. Maybe when I'm a little bit, you know, less busy. And it's nonsense. It is nonsense because we leak. You know, we, we trans. If, we, if our pain isn't transformed, we transmit it everywhere. We leak all over people. We hurt people because we're hurting. And there is an invitation with Jesus Christ to take his hand, to be renewed, to be redeemed, so people don't see the church as horrible people. We want to be Jesus people, but we've got to do the hard work and ask him to come and transform our lives. 
I think that's it, isn't it? <laughs> that's, the that's the invitation. And we stand here, don't we? We sit here. Technically sit here, yeah. <laughs> we sit here with you. We're in this flip. Yeah. We are in this together. Um, but let's pursue it together. Yeah. I just want to say on that, my experience of this has been that it's cyclical. That God keeps taking me back to the same stuff. I'm like, that again? Like, you want to go after my desire to see money as a place of safety? Again? You're calling me into generosity beyond that? Again? <laughs> yeah. we do, again? I've got about five problems, and they're really, really deep, and I just keep cycling around them. That's what discipleship has looked like for me. And you will. Don't think you're not making progress if you keep going to the same thing. God is burning deeper transformation, deeper and deeper and deeper into you and into me. So we're called to be transfigured. We're also called to make our journey with others. Now, I want to do this really briefly, but I have something very serious to say. Uh, we, this might manifest itself as coming to church every week. I know it's not fashionable, folks, to do that anymore, but I would encourage because when you're not here, you're robbing the rest of us of what you bring. We need you. We need your voice. We need your passion. We need your story. We need to be encouraged by you. And that's not practically possible all the time, but make it your aim. Secondly, join a team. Serve. Serve our kids. Serve, serve the place God is really up to stuff in this church, amongst the kids and the youth, or beyond that. That is how you will belong here, but also another way is by joining a group. Now, we have sign-ups to our groups live today. You can go on our website and join uh, the new groups that we are launching as of this moment. Invest in a few. Invite somebody to your house or go out for a coffee or for a meal. You can go to Punch Coffee. It's a coffee shop over the road. Amy and Adam, Ben and Kelly launched it yesterday, and you can go there now. I'm invested in making that place work. Because I want to get coffee on Monday and Wednesday and Sunday. There we go. It's perfectly selfish. Amen. Begin the adventure of giving. If you're not yet invested in financial giving, whatever that looks like, whether that's two coins into the treasury or that is abundance, begin that adventure. Do it. Go in. Come all in into that. But for us to journey with others, many of us are going to have to lay down baggage that is stopping us from ascending the mountain. There are, there are bags of, Amy has mentioned it already, there, there, many of us are carrying pain with us. And we've experienced it uh, in, perhaps in our families of origin. We may have experienced it in the context of church. Uh, we've been, quote, unquote, hurt by the church. The, the, the institution of the church rarely hurts anyone. It does sometimes. That is possible. Usually it's people. People in the church have hurt us. Uh, I've been, I have as much church pain as, as most of you. It's taken me nigh on 40 years to be in a point where I could serve the church in the way that I do. And it's been a very, very difficult journey. So if you're in that place, I, my heart goes out to you. I resonate with you. I know what it's like to be where you are. And I'm telling you, you cannot stay where you are. You have to let that go. You have to, for your sake and for the sake of the broader body of Christ and the mission of the kingdom. I'm not saying that's easy. I would be open to talking with you about what that could look like. But we cannot allow those wounds to stop us. Similarly, we need to lay down baggage. We need to pick up new skills and habits. I thank Tim Sloan for this little insight this week. When we ascend to a new altitude, we have to have different ways of climbing. We might need a, what's one of those things? Think, pardon? 
Ice pick, thank you. Crampons, they're a thing, lovely word. Uh, we might need to have uh, uh, oxygen with us. In a, we need to breathe in a different way. There's lots of different things that we might need to ascend in a different way. We need, fundamentally, the help of one another. And finally, we're called to share this transformation with others. I love how Peter says it's good for us to be here. We could spin this thing into a revival meeting. Make a tent. Invite people. Sell tickets. Stick it on Insta. We'd be really famous. That's often what we do. That is our impulse. Our instinct is often to just spin out the work of God. But we're not called to spin it out and sell it, but to share it out. Jesus says, uh, we're not to share this until the Son of Man has risen, but folks, he's risen. And at that point, you could not stop these disciples from sharing it. It was indiscriminately shared to the world and for the sake of the world. I have been struck by how many of the tributes to our uh, late queen mention her faith as a central part of her life. And on Thursday evening, I was walking the dog in the dark late at night listening to the radio. And I heard Sir John Major, former Prime Minister, being interviewed. And while speaking about the Queen's faith, he said this. She didn't parade her Christianity, except in one respect. She lived it. I thought, whoa. She lived it. That's it. That's what it means to go down the mountain with Jesus, to share the transfiguration. It simply means to live it. To live the faith. The journey with Jesus, wherever it is that he's going. Let's hear Adam and Amy. Can we invite Adam and Amy to just come share their story? Come round here. Step into our office. Pioneers of punch coffee, among other things. (laughs) Good morning. Morning. So... um, Tell us briefly, how was it that the two of you arrived here in Nottingham? Um, Yeah, so when these guys moved in the summer, um, one of the original team, a guy called Craig, lots of you will remember, um, he was someone I worked with in London, and so I'd seen that he was coming, and um, he said, oh, I've got this big house, no one else has moved in just yet, it's empty, you're welcome to come visit Nottingham. And so we were down south, just outside London at that point, I'd never been to Nottingham before, and so we came for the weekend we sort of no other intention than just to come and visit and um, yeah, see a new city for the weekend. So we did that in October and um, we met some of these guys and we'd known a few people from London before. Um, but yeah, we just came for the visit. And on the drive home, it was one of those kind of, if you've got small children, one of those magic moments where everyone fell asleep in the back of the car and we had a couple of hours just to chat. And um, Adam turned to me and just said, I think we have to move there. And um, so we were like, okay, if one of us gets a job, we'll go. And so we did. So we moved at Christmas with absolutely no idea what God had here for us. And he had so much. (laughs) So... um, Talk about that. What has he had? um, I've been thinking, I've had a couple of days just to think about this time and Nottingham and... It's just so hard to put it into words. He, uh, he had family for us here. And um, I just think I've, I've never been so known. And I didn't know that was here. 
so we came. How would you articulate that, Adam? Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, I was just thinking while I was sat there, because I'm a bit of a last-minute kind of guy. I haven't been thinking about it for two days. (laughs) Um, I was just thinking when you were talking, I think how identity was wrapped up in so many wrong things like proximity to London, for example, what a load of nonsense, like, as in that was adding any value to our life. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, London's great and all, but... Um, but also, I just think, um, you know, Nottingham's a place, you know, and I, don't, I think the significance was about faith, just respond, like listening and responding. That was, I think, really, like, to talk about transformation, that was the transformative moment for us. That really, certainly not together, we'd done that ever before. Um, so I think, yeah, God's been kind and gentle and slow enough <laughs> for us to keep up. Um, yeah, but yeah, family is the same for me. Being known, it's all the same language I would use. But you haven't stopped responding. I mean, what's been extraordinary to watch you has been how that led you here initially. Then, Amy, there's been a journey for you about you know, discerning a call to church leadership. Uh, in the midst of all of that, you've adopted uh, and grown your family in that way. And now you've stepped into a new... Adam started a business when he came here. Now there's a second business. And it's, it's not stopped, has it? Speak about, maybe, speak about what? You just, yeah, speak about what Jesus has done in all of that. I think for me, um, it's been like, I think so much of what we did before we started listening and responding had like a, 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 a fairly clear like bottom line to it as in you know oh let's start a business and make some money kind of thing but I think like Jesus God and praying and listening what it's done is like redefine what the bottom line is the why and I think like I you know I saw the entrepreneurialism sort of that journey was sparked in me by my grandfather and I think I think he was good at this instinctively but I've seen a lot of business owners since then who don't have any relationship in their why. And I've seen them succeed because they've had other things in their why, but I've also seen them become very lonely. Wow. And that's been the transformation coming here. I tried to start a business down south and it just didn't have relationship in the why. Um, what happened? Ultimately, loneliness. Um, Broken relationships, um, just uh, sort of brutal bulldozing, not necessarily from me, but from those around me. Mm. Um, and I think that's been like a really key shift in my heart. And I think it doesn't just speak into like work, I think it just speaks into our lives. Like yeah. the bottom line for us is relationship with God and relationship with other people. It's amazing. Amy, would you like to close with anything? Um, I think just for me, um, something that I've been thinking about is how um, 
God is um, so kind. And I think that there have been some really big encounters with Jesus that have happened kind of through my time here. And then alongside that, lots of days kind of in between. And um, the kind of encounter that sort of started it all off for me, really, just this journey of um, surrendering to him and also letting other people into my life in friendship um, was actually in here in the prayer room. There was a time of prayer and Amy actually led us in um, just standing up and closing our eyes and inviting Jesus to come in and come over to us and say something. And I was sort of dreading it, to be honest. It wasn't really what I wanted to do that morning. And I'd been very good at just um, kind of going through the motions, I think, for the first sort of year or so that I was here. And um, I just so clearly felt Jesus come over to me and just say, sit down and tell me everything. And I learned that day that he's not in a hurry. He's not in a hurry for absolutely everything of me. And I've also learned that my friends are people that will sit with me. And so I've been on this journey to give him more and more and more of myself and to also share that with other people. And I've seen him transform me, and I don't think I'm the same. Praise God. Can we give these guys thank you? And we thank you, God.